Song of Solomon chapter 8. Song of Solomon is going to be in the Old Testament. If you're new to the Bible, if you'll find the book of Psalms, you're really, really close to Song of Solomon. It's a short book, one of the greatest love stories ever told, um, and it's there in the wisdom literature section of the Old Testament. Well, hey, um, about 12 years ago, I had one of the most awkward, intense uh, conversations that revolved around a request I was making and uh, it was when I sat down with uh, my, my now father-in-law, who we celebrated his 60th birthday this weekend. It was awesome. But I, I remember sitting down with him, and I had to ask him that question that, uh, men, if we were to be honest, it's the most dreaded question ever. It's sitting down with another man and saying, can I marry your daughter? And when I did that, um, it, you know, I had all the confidence in the world. Like, Chelsea was the one. I mean, she was my, I mean, she was my you know, my soulmate. She was everything that I, I thought. And I had all the confidence that she was the one. But my father-in-law, um, at the time, he didn't have that much confidence that I was the one for her. And so I remember sitting down. I was like, hey, Dad. <laughs> Good guy, Dad. Just kidding. Okay, Mr. Albie. Um, and, uh, you know, proceeded to ask him if I could have his blessing to marry his daughter. And then he said, well, well what are you, what's your plan? What, what are you planning on doing to take care of my daughter? And I said, well, you know, pops, <laughs> I've got a, a few things on the, on the horizon. You know, I'm going to graduate this semester with a degree in biology, which means nothing. Um, and, uh, and, and I've been given the opportunity to play football in Europe. And so I was thinking about maybe getting married and then moving to Sweden for the summer and launching my semi-professional career in European football. And, and he's like, okay. Then what? I'm like, well, you know, I mean, you know, Chelsea's working right now. I mean, we'll figure it out. She's got a job. That's all that matters. And so we talked, and, and then, you know, I was like, okay, and, 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 and I left. And that was like on a, on a Sunday. And I remember talking to Chelsea like on Wednesday that week, and she was like, uh, I was like, yeah, hey, I talked to your dad. And she was like, well, what do you say? And I was like, uh, you know what? I don't think you ever gave me an answer. I mean, we talked about it, but I never really got like, you have my stamp of approval. And so I remember calling him back up um, that Wednesday and, uh, and saying, hey, uh, hey, Terry, that's his name. And I said, hey, I, I never really got a, a clear answer from you. And he was like, because I never got a clear answer from you. W what are you going to do to provide for my daughter? And I, and, I, and I had to make a decision at that point in time. I said, hey, um, I'm, I'm not going to go play football in Europe. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my dreams to rest. And I'm going to go get a job like a real man. And, uh, and, and he helped me in that endeavor. And so when I gave him that answer, he then gave me the, the confidence that I could be a part of the family. And so he said, hey, you have my blessing. And I had to call him this week, even as I was preparing for this message, because we're going to be talking about engagement, uh, pre-engagement to be exact. And I had to call my in-laws this week, and I was talking to them about some things that, that maybe I could disclose to you guys tonight. And I said, hey, as I prepared for this message, I just got to apologize for being an idiot. If I only knew now what I knew then. I mean, whatever, you know what I'm saying? And so just prove my point. I'm an idiot. And so anyway, um, then I said, hey, I'm sorry that I wasn't more mature and, and, and more wise. And they said, hey, you know, you have our grace. You have our forgiveness. Uh, you're doing a great job. And they affirmed me. And, 
And so that night, I mean, that day I got the approval, and, and then I went on to, to ask Chelsea this all-important question that so much of our life in, hinges upon because I wanted to spend the, the rest of my life with Chelsea because she had given me these clues that led me to have a confident conclusion. And so on February 22nd, that was Thursday, 11 years ago, I asked Chelsea to be my wife. And now we got three kids, a minivan, a mortgage now, holla at your boy, things are working out. And so and she still looks just as good as the day I put a ring on it like Beyonce. And so I tell you all of that because here's the reality tonight. Most of you are going to get engaged. Most of you are going to get engaged at some point in your life. Some of you are like, Lord Jesus, could it be sooner than later, right? <laughs> but whether or not you will have confidence in the person who is going to be asking for your hand in marriage or whether or not you're going to have confidence to ask that question towards someone is yet to be determined. And so tonight we're doing a message called pre-engagement because I want you guys to have confidence. We're in a series called Save the Date. And it's hinging upon Ephesians 5, 15 uh, through 17, which says to, uh, to, uh, to, to, what does it say? It says to be wise, to not live as fools, to, to live carefully. It says, it says that, that you want to redeem the time, that you want to know what the will of the Lord is. And so we've come here because we want to set our future in our minds so that we would live carefully today. We want to save the date. We want to have our future in mind so it affects our present reality. And so we've talked about how to date. We've talked about who you should date. Josiah did a great job knocking it out of the ballpark last time we met to talk about the gift of singleness. And we gave everybody a rose, and it was a great uh, Valentine's Day Eve. And, and tonight we're going to give you five things that you're going to need in order to have confidence in the person that you're going to get engaged to. If you're taking notes, write this down. The first thing you're going to need is you're going to need to observe a commitment. Notice I didn't say you're going to need love, right? Because love in our culture is so fickle, is it not? Like you can say, I love him. And then you can, you can see that fresh color of stilettos and be like, oh girl, I love those shoes, right? You can say, oh, I love her. And then Taco Bell does that new like get 17 things for $5 in one box and a drink. You're like, oh, I love Taco Bell. Come on. And so there's got to be a distinction. And so we want to see love that manifests itself in commitment. And you want to observe that. You want to, have you want to see commitment. Uh, the Hebrew language has three, most, has three common words for love. And there's this one word for love. It's the word ahava. And the word ahava means a love of the will. It's a choice. It embodies this idea that it's a committed type of love. We see this in Song of Solomon, if you found it, in chapter 8 is where we'll be in just a second. Chapter 8, starting in verse 6. We see this love displayed in the Song of Solomon. It's this beautiful love story in which we see this couple go from friends. They move from the friend zone to the committed zone, and then they move into the marriage zone. And it uses this word ahava to describe love, and here's what it says in Song of Solomon 8, 6. Set me as a seal upon your heart. As a seal upon your arm, for love or ahava, here's what it says, it is as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. Circle that phrase that, it's, that, that he says that the love is as strong as death. Isn't that weird to compare like love and death with each other? Some of you are like, my last love was kind of like a death, right? You know, like broke heart, just jacked up. And, but he uses love and death and he, and he compares them together because love that we're supposed to be going after, this committed type of love is, is meant to be similar to death. 
in the way that they are both strong. The author uses death to describe love because death, once it grabs a hold of something, it doesn't let go. Death is unrelenting. It doesn't divorce. It doesn't break up. And you're looking to see this type of love in the relationship if you know that it's going to go the distance. Real love grabs a hold and says, I'm staying for better and for worse. It's this deep sense of, of commitment. that it's, it's more than this initial attraction type of love. Like some of y'all, maybe you came here, saved the date series week one, and, and maybe you, you, you hit off some chemistry, right? You kind of had like a, just some romance. You got on the dance floor. DJ was you know, getting something. We did something out there. I don't know. I was in here talking to people anyway. And you're out there and, and like you struck something with somebody. Maybe you come in here and you're in a relationship. And you're like, we got love. I'm telling you, this is something, this is something unique. All right. I ain't never felt this love before. Um, but, but oftentimes our love, we think that if we have a match type love, it's just going to carry us through and make a strong marriage. But everyone knows that a match doesn't burn very long. And that a match, it, it, it lights quick, but it doesn't last. That a match goes out, and if you think that because you have chemistry, you hit it off, there's fireworks in your relationship, and you've never felt this way before, and that's going to sustain you through thick and through thin in marriage, you're fooling yourself. That you don't want to observe a match-type love. What the, the Word of God is saying tonight is that you want to observe a charcoal-type love. See, when you stand before God and stand before your friends and your family and you say, I do someday, you're making a covenant. And a, and a covenantal type of love is meant to be like charcoals, that, that when you light these things, it takes a little while to get them going, but once there's this bed of coals, that, that you, can, you can begin to stoke that, and, and it makes this white, hot uh, bed of coals in which you can begin to rekindle the fire all throughout the life of the coal. And so God is trying to tell us that we need to observe a commitment in our significant other's lives before we put a ring on it. The way that you observe whether or not you have a charcoal-type love, this, this I'm not going anywhere, this unconditional, unbreakable, divorce is not an option, I'm not going to swipe left on this marriage, that I may be at odds with you, but I'd rather not be at odds with anybody else because, girl, when you're mad, you're still fine. You know, that type of love, this charcoal-type of love, I'm telling you, if you want to get that, you're going to have to see something before you put a ring on it, and you're going to have to see them go through trials and temptations, how are they committed as you go through trials and temptations? Uh, trials, I still remember uh, one of the greatest trials I observed my now wife go through before we were married was we got a phone call and, and it, was, it was like this. Uh, my brother, my oldest brother called me, I have three brothers, and he called me and said, hey, um, hey, dad's about to get evicted from his apartment. Um, his boss just called me and said that they're about to have to cut him loose because his drinking's gotten out of hand again. And so um, I, I think we should go. And, and what it meant to go, that was a nine-hour drive across the state of Texas to where my dad was living. I was like, today? He's like, yeah, we need to go today. I get off work at this time. What time do you get off? And we started coordinating schedules. And so I've got two brothers, and all three of us decided, hey, we're going to drop everything we're doing. We're going to drive out to West Texas, and we're going to try to save our dad, basically. And Chelsea was like, hey, I, I think that, that this is going to be my family, so could I go with y'all? I was like, girl... You ever, like, have to explain your family to people? Like, hey, you're about to beat my dad, but let me just, like, you're so sweet. You grab by the cheeks, you're like, just, just block it all away. Block the bad. Block the bad, right? You know, some of y'all, I'm not alone. And so Chelsea, man, she hops in the car. Me, my two brothers, and, and Chelsea. And Chelsea grew up innocent. She didn't grow up like I did. 
And so she wasn't really prepared for what she walked into. We, we actually rolled into Odessa, Texas, and, and uh, my dad was at a bar. He said, happy hour after work. And so we rolled in, and we surprised my dad. He's like, what are you guys doing here? And he's kicking a few back. And we're like, Dad, we're here to celebrate your birthday and help you get sober. Anyway, so um, we, we said, hey, let's go to the apartment. Why don't you get cleaned up, and uh, we'll help kind of pick up your apartment a little bit. And then, we'll, man, we would love to take you out to eat. And so we go to his apartment, and, and he's like, all right, I'm going to go get cleaned up. He, he uh, goes and hops in the shower, and we didn't know that he slipped a, a, a bottle of tequila with him. And so, man, he's in the shower for like a long time, and, and apparently he was in the shower long enough to, to drink a bottle of tequila. And so he comes out, and he is lit when he comes out, right? Like, hey, what y'all, you know, I'm like, you know, what's going on? And it's obvious that he has got drunk in the shower. That's how bad his addiction was. And then he just, he just starts dropping F-bomb after F-bomb after F-bomb, and he's calling us F-words, and, and Chelsea's just like, what am I getting myself into, right? <laughs> I remember I was asking Chelsea about this as I prepared for the mess. I was like, what were you thinking, right? Because like, looking back on it, I was like, I should have never let her go with us. Um, and she came to my dad's apartment, which smelled bad, and it was, there was old food out, and it was disgusting. And she watched my dad come out and, and talk to us that way. And I remember her saying, hey, doesn't it bother you that he calls you MFers? And at that point, I was like, no, it's just, just kind of what he calls us. And she was like, what? And she said, I remember just, I don't remember exactly what I felt, but I went home and I just wept. And I had to observe, was she committed through the trial? Was she committed? Was she going to stay even though she was going to have to see what she was getting married to? And by God's grace, she continued on. And so you want to see them and you want to observe them through the trial, but also through the temptation. And so you may have your little bay thing, your little lovey-dovey, whatever you got going on, but what is he doing when he's getting tempted? I mean, does he have only eyes for you or does that brother get whiplash everything, every time someone attractive walks by? Like, you know, like you're, you're out eating and he's like, like looking at you like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Like, like, you need to go see a chiropractor for that whiplash? Like, I'm right here, buddy, Okay. How does he handle temptations? I mean, has he gotten a grip on his sexual desire? Like, has he, has he been able to, to um, control himself sexually? Have you seen him uh, um, get control? I mean, I'm not talking about like, a, like man, I, you know, I haven't looked at porn in like days. I'm talking about has he had a season of sexual sobriety where he's been able to, to clean himself up and get control over that area of his life? Because our sexual drives, men especially, but all of us, our sexual drives do not need indulgence. They need discipline. Because we've said this week in and week out unapologetically that it's patience and self-control that grows only in the soil of purity. And so you got to see, how does he handle temptations? I was talking to a couple, and, and, and I mean, a lot of couples, maybe here tonight, I mean, a lot of, we, we were just kind of guessing. I bet 40% of the people here have been cheated on in some form or fashion in a relationship. Just the number we threw out. And, and what do you do? Do you continue on in that relationship? I read an article today that, that it said 350% chance if they cheated before, they'll cheat in the, again. I'm like, what? And so how have they handled temptations? Is she constantly on social media? Like, you're the most significant man in my life. You mean everything to me. Hang on a second, babe. Hang on. Okay. Wait, can we redo that? 13,000 times, okay, right? Like we need to learn from Walter Mitty, that scene where they're capturing the snow leopards 
And Sean O'Connell, he says, hey, I'm going to put the camera down because some moments are meant to be enjoyed, not captured. How does she handle um, uh, when she gets so anxious and so stressed out? How are you seeing her walk through the temptations of life? How are you seeing him handle the temptations of life? Are they staying committed? Are they pushing through the pain? Have you seen them cheat on their commitments in general? Their commitments to relationships, their commitments to their job, their commitments to their community group, their commitments to their whatever. Because listen, promises are easy. I promise, baby, you are everything to me. I commit everything to you. I love you. But we have to look at people's pasts to determine whether or not their commitment is filled with integrity. How are they committing? How do you have confidence in their commitment? You've got to evaluate long enough to see how the relationship survives when drama comes, when the trials and the temptations come, and they serve you. They're a gift in order to expose what's in your heart to determine how badly you want to be my man or how badly you want to be my woman. Are you, are you okay with marrying this family? Are you okay with, with pushing through and having eyes only for me? How have you seen their level of commitment? Number two is communication. You're not only going to need commitment, you're going to need communication. Communication is key. Now, whether or not you're becoming a master or a disaster in communication will be revealed when conflict comes. Now, check this out. Some of y'all are like, conflict? We don't have any conflict. We get along. We score the same on every personality test. I mean, it's epic. It's awesome. I mean, love is in the air. We sing songs. It's just incredible. We finish each other's sandwiches. It's great. I mean, it's, I just love it. You're living in Disney World. That, that, that ain't a real world. Come to reality. Conflict is a part of reality. And you have to learn how to communicate through conflict. We don't have conflict when we don't, or excuse me, we don't navigate conflict when we don't learn how to communicate. See, all healthy relationships are marked by conflict, and all unhealthy relationships are marked by unhealthy conflict. So how do you communicate through your conflict? I was reading an article in Time uh, Magazine recently by Kate Rockwood, Nine Signs Your Marriage Will Last, and she says this, whether you're, whether you're miserable or merry in your marriage has less to do with how often you have conflict and more to do with how you handle it. Now, guys, I know sometimes like when the heat is on and, and she's just like, you know, just vomiting, verbally vomiting on you, you're like, you know, sometimes, guys, it feels like you're trying to, you know, like smell the color of sound. You're like, I don't know exactly what, you want me to go over here? And she's like, don't go over there. You know, like, okay, I won't go over there, you know. And, and then you're just trying to figure out all these emotions coming to you, which you don't have the hardware necessary to receive these emotions that are coming at you, right? You're like, I'm trying to smell something that I, that I, that I hear that I can't see, right? You know, and you just, I'm confused. And girls, to your defense, like talking to a guy sometimes, especially in conflict, is like talking to a brick, you know? You're like, do you feel anything? He's like, yeah, I feel like your hair looks really nice. <laughs> You're like, you know? And it's so hard because we're so different, but you have to learn how to communicate through conflict. The book of Proverbs 12, 18 says this, that some people make cutting remarks but the words of the wise, this is what we want, but the words of the wise bring healing. So when you disagree, do you use your words as weapons to wound one another? Do, do you explode or do you freeze? Like last week, you know, just freeze. Do you shut down or do you make cutting remarks with sarcasm? That, that's mine. 
I, I freeze, and then when I speak, in the heat of the moment, when I use my words as weapons, they're sarcastic cuts. I've told this story a, a ton, but my wife, she told me, we've been married about a year. She said, look, I'm not your roommate, and I appreciate if you quit talking to me like I was. I don't need your sarcasm. And I want to be a man of wisdom, and I know that you want to be a people of wisdom. And what the book of Proverbs says is that the words of the wise, they bring healing. And we want to use our words in the midst of conflict to bring healing. Guys, if you cannot communicate effectively, newsflash, you're in trouble. Your relationship is in trouble. So let me just give you a preview. Like, let's say you found the one. Maybe you're engaged tonight, and we're excited for you, and, and good luck. And so here's what I would say. Like, let me give you a preview. So you say, I do. I mean, yes, I'll marry you, that sort of thing. And, and then immediately, you begin to plan the largest event of your life involving two families. And hopefully those families coming together will be harmonious, but more than likely it won't be. All right? And so you're going to need to learn how to navigate conflict. You'll move from hashtag blessed to hashtag stressed, all right, in a heartbeat, okay? And so you, you need to learn how to get the tools in your belt to navigate conflict. Because, man, once you get engaged, you, you've invested financially, you bought a ring. The average wedding in Missouri costs 20 grand. The average re wedding in America costs 45 grand. So at least we're below average in Missouri, all right? So don't go to Kansas, probably more. Anyway, um, and so it, it, it's expensive, right? And then you, you've invested uh, emotionally, like, man, you, like this is, I found the one, he's awesome, I hate him, but he's awesome, you know, or I love her, you know, he's just crazy, but it's awesome, you know, it's all just emotional things. And then, then you've invested spiritually. I mean, this is the person that you said, man, I want to I wanna build a legacy with. And so it's important that you learn how to communicate, because here's the deal, if you don't learn how to communicate before engagement, then once you get engaged, you will compromise because of your investment, that in our culture, it is more appropriate to get a divorce than it is to break off an engagement. It's easier and more socially acceptable to divorce them rather than to, to cancel the wedding. And so that's why we wanted to give a sermon on engagement, because guys, this is critical. And let me just remind you that the pain of preparation now is way less than the pain of a divorce later. And so begin to ask hard questions. Don't just think that you're just going to have a match-type love and you're just going to kind of skip through life and into marriage and everything's going to be awesome. And ask hard questions. This is why we encourage you guys to do pre-engagement counseling. Pre-engagement counseling, it sounds crazy. I think you're supposed to do premarital counseling, but we say, no, no, no. Pre-engagement counseling is critical because it forces you to begin to ask questions and to talk about things that you wouldn't normally talk about. And so when you're getting engaged, what you're doing is you're merging your finances. So you need to talk about financial stuff. You need to get on the same page of spending and giving and saving. Because guys, like, let's just be honest. Some of you are here when it comes to, I don't know, let, let's just comes, comes to hunting. There is no price too great for the right scope, on the right gun, with the right ATV, on the right land, with the right corn to kill or maybe kill that animal. And we just don't think. And girls, there is no price too great with the right hair and the right color fingernails and the right stilettos and the right makeup. And you know everybody at Sephora or whatever place it's called. You know, like you know everybody. And you got my name, and there's no price too great. And you're like, man, I don't know where all my money goes. I can tell where it goes, all right? It, it's expensive to be you, right? 
And, and so oftentimes we just, we get into a relationship, we never talk about hunting or makeup. We just don't talk about those things because we like those things about each other. Like, he's a man's man. She's beautiful, you know. We don't ever talk about what that does to our budget. And so you need to have this conversation. Dan Cadlick, in an article called Money Moves All Couples Should Make, he said the one observation that he found across all generations when it comes to money is he said this, couples who are in sync on saving and budgeting feel more financially secure, argue less about money, and I love this, and have hotter sex lives. Okay, so you need to talk about y'all's budget together, your finances. The second thing you need to talk about before you get engaged is y'all's futures. Like, how many kids do you want? Do you want five kids, ten kids, no kids, one kid? I don't know. Do you want to adopt? Do you want to just have, try to have biological, you know, all that stuff? What are you going to do with your holidays? Who's going to do lawnmower maintenance? Who's going who's to cut the grass? Of course, she is. We all know that. And so, I mean, who's going to do all that stuff? You need to have this conversation. Some of you, you have like, you have like a 10-year plan. And you're like, I'd like to do this, this, and this by the time I'm 30. Or I'd like to do this, this, and this by the time I'm 40, whatever it is, wherever you're at tonight. Okay? And, and you just share that. Like, hey, I would really love to go back to school. And, and then, the, you know, if she says that, you just say, who's going to pay for that? She's like, you will, babe. <laughs> you know? And, and you need to have these conversations about your future. You need to ask questions so that you can minimize friction in the first years of marriage. Ask hard questions. If you can learn to communicate well with each other, you will navigate through a lot of issues quickly. But if every disagreement that you come across and every conflict that you have dissolves into arguments and yelling, then you need to pump the brakes before you say, uh, before you jump into a relationship that is a till death do us part relationship, you need to learn how to communicate. Experts um, I studied recently, they were trying, I was trying to figure out what is the number one cause of divorce. And they were, they were all over the map when it comes to these three issues. Some of them said it's contempt. It's like this, this like, I hate this person. They never get over that. Some people said it's finances. And that's historically, I think, what's been the number one cause of divorce. And then other people said it's the, the, um, the inability to communicate. And they're all over the map, but these things are so critical. And most divorces, the greatest concentration of divorces happen with people in their 20s. The average marriage lasts eight years in our culture. It's because people aren't going through the pain of preparation, and so they're suffering the pain of divorce. And so tonight, man, I'm trying to give you wisdom. I'm trying to give you truths that you can take down so that you can have confidence in your covenant, so that your matrimony isn't a misery, so that your marriage is a beautiful gift to the world that inspires people and honors God. You gotta have a commitment. You gotta start learning to navigate through communication. And then thirdly, you're gonna have to have a time of confession. You're gonna have to have a time of confession. This may be one of the most arduous parts of the whole process. One of the most complicated, difficult. But before we, you got to come to that person, hey, before we link up our lives forever, I need you to know some things about me. Not just the things that you see, not just the parts of me that I want to project forward, but, but I need you to know about some of the broken things in me and some of the broken things in my past. I need to unpack my baggage. And listen, this will be incredibly difficult. But it will be incredibly necessary for you to experience the love and the relationship that you hope. So for some of you, this may be divulging um, some things from your past that maybe you were abused in your past. And there's some emotional baggage that comes with that or there's some scars, there's some wounds that that, that person needs to be made aware of. 
For, for some of you, it may be that you have to sit down and say, hey, look, um, I, I mismanaged my money. I've, I've had to file bankruptcy twice. And, and, and now because of that, my credit is shot. For, for others of you, it may be that, that you sit down and say, hey, look, look, there was a time in my past when I was a teenager or, or when I was in my early 20s in college, I went off and, man, I, I don't know what happened, but I just got so gripped with anxiety that I actually had to be admitted into this hospital for behavioral things, and, and I just need you to know that. Um, like, I, I feel like God is healing me of that, but I just need you to know that, that is a, that's an area in my life. That's a part of my past. And for others of you, you may just have to sit down and say, hey, I'm so sorry, but I haven't, I haven't stewarded the, the gift of my sexuality in a way that was edifying to you. I've had sex with people in my past. I've looked at things in my past. I've done things I'm not proud of. And, and, and I'm, I'm sorry. Now, this doesn't need to be like a running conversation in your relationship, okay? A time of confession. I think that you can lay this out and, and then you need to give that person time to process, okay? They need to process that confession, but then there needs to be some reciprocity there. Um, they need to reciprocate what, what they processed, give you some feedback, and then you got to lay it down. And I remember, man, this, this, I remember like it was yesterday, one of the hardest conversations I've had with my wife. We were sitting in her parents' house on the couch, and, and I said, hey, Chelsea, before we move forward in our relationship, you just need to know some things about me. And she said, hey, before we move forward in our relationship, you need to know some things about me. And, and in tears, begin to unpack baggage. And, and in that moment, when you confess, you're putting all your hopes and all your dreams of that relationship, and you're saying, I'm going to risk this, but I've got to be known. I've got to be real. I've got to confess some things. Why? Why would you divulge your secrets? Why would you thwart the love of your life in this moment? Why would you do that? Let me give you a couple reasons why. First of all, when you expose your secrets to light, they have no power. We've been doing this series on Sunday mornings called Defeating the Enemy. And one of the greatest lies of the enemy is that he wants to shame you and guilt you and keep your sin in secrecy. And he wants to beat you up over that. But our pastor says often, and it is right and I love it, that, the, that sin has no power in Excuse me, the power of sin is in secrecy. And sin has no power when we bring it to light that there's liberty found when we allow our secrets to come out. Proverbs 28, 13 says, he who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. My, my dad, he struggled with alcoholism uh, most of his life. It actually took his life about five years ago this month. And a part of his uh, legal issues, he was incarcerated multiple times. He had to, he had to go to AA. Some of y'all have heard of this. Maybe some of y'all are involved with AA. Praise God. In AA, one of the things that they say is this, is that we are only as sick as our secrets, that you've got to divulge, you've got to have a time of confession, and when you present yourself, the good, the bad, and the ugly, you're saying to your significant other that you trust them, even with your brokenness. In an article in Time Magazine, this woman, Belinda Luscombe, I think is how you say it, in an article called How to Stay Married, she says this simply but profoundly, that vulnerability is a prerequisite for intimacy. That when you confess your sin, man, you're breaking the power. The power of sin is in secrecy. When you confess your sin and you unpack your bags, you're also getting on the road to healing. 
that healing is possible, praise God, that when you share with the one that you love the most, the most broken parts of you, that you're giving them the opportunity to respond with, with, with statements like, man, I'm so sorry that happened to you. You were a child. Or you share with them this, this brokenness that's inside of your heart. You're giving them the chance to say, look, look, God forgives you, and I choose to as well. And when you divulge that, you confess, you give them the chance to say, look, I love you. And though you may, though you may not feel this right now, I still want you. And there's something that, that washes over you when you share the most wounded and broken parts of you and they respond with empathy and mercy. It can be powerfully healing in that moment. And one of the greatest expressions or one of the greatest forms of love is to be accepted no matter where you've been in thought, word, or action. That if we're never truly known, then we're never truly loved. And if we're never truly loved, then what kind of love is that? That vulnerability is the prerequisite for intimacy. And so when you go to share, man, you, you want to, let me just give you some practical things. When you go to share and confess, because we probably all will need to do that at some point in our relationship, the goal of sharing is to give enough information to have a legitimate confession, um, but to leave out unnecessary graphic detail. You know what I'm saying? And so like if you're um, getting ready to have this conversation with somebody, maybe you're in a relationship tonight, you're going to have to do this sometime, I would encourage you to go to your community group first, sit down with those guys and say, hey, I'm going to run my, my talking points by y'all. Um, is this too much information? Is it not enough information? Am I being too vague? Like, yeah, you know, I had some crazy, I had a crazy season. You probably need to give a little more information than that, you know what I'm saying, and let them know what they're getting into. And uh, so you need to, but you also don't need to be like, yeah, it was, you know, it was September the third and it's about 11 30 at night you know it's great you don't need to get into all that okay but there needs to be some sort of balance there I would run that by your community first some godly counsel that you trust and then you need to go give them enough information to have an, uh, um, a confession that is filled with integrity but but leave out the unnecessary graphic detail and be careful when somebody's unpacking uh, their, their baggage, all right? So maybe you're the one that has to like kind of spearhead this conversation. Like, hey, there's some things I need to tell you about my past. And, uh, and they're like, yeah, sure. And, and, and how about you tell me some things about your past, you know, you're saying. And, and they're like, yeah. And so you begin to lay out, and man, you're broken. But then they begin to say some things about their past. You need to be careful when someone's unpacking their bags and they're not broken over their sin. Like if you're about to, if you're about to go to the altar with this person, and they're like, yeah, you know, I, got, I, I just have like a little porn problem. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, most guys deal with it. And you, I mean, you don't understand because you're, you're a chick, you know, maybe talks like that, I don't know. Anyway, and it's just a little porn problem. I just, you know, every now and then. There's no such thing as a little porn problem. Or, or if they're just like, you know, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I was crazy in college, slept with so many people, it was crazy. But, you know, I want to settle down now. So, like, like you're, this, you're, you're wife material, babe. Really? Like, like it was crazy? You just slept with a lot of people? You, you're looking for a brokenness. Yeah, yeah I have debt, but, you know, it's, I, I mean, I've got, I've got it under control. I mean, I'm down to like seven credit cards. Like, it's good. You know, I've been like, you know, pinballing the stuff. I've got a strategy now. And so, yeah, it's good. It's good. I mean, you know, I've got it under control. Or someone said, yeah, you know, I never struggle with that anymore. Like, I'm just told so, so over that. Never have any issues with that ever. Like, like be careful. You want to sense a, a brokenness in this confession. If they're not broken over their sin, what makes, you to think, what makes you think they're over their sin? If they're not broken, 
See, biblical confession is saying the same thing about your sin that God says about it. And God has no concept of sin. And so when we come to God and we say, God, yep, I sinned again. He's like, what are you talking about? How could you do this? It would be like me trying to describe the depravity of my heart sexually. Let's just pick that one. Or my pride or my people pleasing to my four-year-old. Like, yeah, daddy, he has these desires, baby. And these desires, when he looks, you know, or, or when he thinks about himself, you know, you know what I'm saying? And she's like, no, I don't. I'm four. Like, she's not completely innocent, but she's probably about 75% innocent. And when you, try to, when you try to describe sin to something that is innocent, it has no concept of it. And so don't make light work of your sin. It's no small weight that crushed Jesus on the cross. Let us not trivialize our sin. And if they're unpacking their bags, like, yeah, it's no big deal. We all struggle. You know, I mean, it's just that, you know, well, you know what I'm saying? No, no. There's always consequences for our sin. And there must be a time of confession. And fourthly, there must be community. You must involve community. And so, man, we say this a lot, but, man, you are not meant to do life alone. you got to involve community into this process. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. This word safety in the Hebrew is the word teshua. It means safety. It means victory. It means salvation. We could uh, throw a synonym on there, confidence. That he's saying that when you have a multitude of counselors, there is confidence. You want to have confidence in the, this person that you're about to commit your life to, get counsel. Like if no one else is confident about y'all, then you shouldn't be confident about y'all either, right? Like, but, oh, we're in love. Like, they're like, no, man, your relationship's more unpredictable than the weather in Missouri, right? <laughs> like it's hot, it's cold, it's hot. I mean, make up your mind, right? We do charcuterie together, and we make boards, and it's just awesome. I don't care what y'all do together. You may be singing Ed Sharon today, but you're probably going to be singing Taylor Swift tomorrow. <laughs> and if they're speaking that in your life, man, you need to listen, because when there's the multitude of counselors, there is safety, there is salvation, there is confidence. Now, I think one of the best sources of community that you can involve into your relationship is your family. Ephesians 6, 2 says this, to honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And so one of the things that you need to do, I mean, if you're thinking about spending the rest of your life with this person, you're going to merge their families is, is to involve their family. And one of the best ways to involve that family input, that community input, is to give them honor. The way that you honor somebody, because honor is not caught. Honor is not this passive thing that just happens. Honor is an active thing. It's something you've got to give. And so here's a couple of ways that you can honor. You can ask for permission, number one. Ask for, for permission, like, this may seem old school, and, and I would just encourage you guys, like, just to try it out. Maybe you're considering a girl, you know, maybe you've been pursuing her, and it's got to that next level where you want to ask her to be your girlfriend. I'm not talking about engagement. You want to ask her to be your girlfriend. Like, like if you want to honor her dad, if her dad's involved, you need to involve him, right? If, if she doesn't have a good relationship with daddy, then, you know, that's a whole different issue. But if daddy's involved in her life, you need to involve daddy, and you need to go ask for permission. Like, um, hey, hey, Mr. Jones, um, I was just asking for permission if I could uh, take out your daughter, Camille. Okay, that's, that's Josiah's daughter, right? Um, I feel sorry for that, brother. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, anyway, and so um, if, I could, if I could pursue your daughter, 
and that place is honor. Because let me, let me just lay out a picture for you real quick, okay? This is a good picture of how most men view their daughters, all right? Here, here she is right here. I've got her locked in my mind, right? <laughs> and so it's like, oh, you know, like, like that's her age forever. She's waving, hey, boyfriend, right? I mean, she's like a year old, but maybe she's 18, but I still see her at this age. You know, and I got my gun. I'm like, hey, what's up, brother? What's your name? He's like, my name's Eric. You say Eric, sir, right? You know what I'm saying? And so, but, and this is the picture, okay? This is the picture. We can take that down. Um, and so you want to ask for permission. Maybe honor them. Ask for permission. Hey, can I date your daughter? Can I carry her out? And especially ask for permission uh, when it comes time to ask for her hand in marriage, Okay. Go talk to him. Have a conversation man to man. Tell him why you want to marry him. I would encourage you to put together a budget and to do what I didn't do and say, hey, here's how I'm going to provide for your daughter. Here's how I'm going to protect your daughter because I know that you have in your brain a picture much like the one I just showed you that you've been taking care of her for all of her life. You've been protecting her all of her life, and I want to do the same. We're allies. We're not enemies. And so ask for permission. A second way that you can honor them is give them access. Give them access. Man, people, they value access. This is why we have VIP sections at games. That we have box seats. You want to let them into your life. And listen, most parents, they deserve access. They're footing the bill on a lot of things. And I don't care if you're a young professional, still give them access. Invite them into your relationship. It's easier for them to celebrate your relationship if they've had a chance to evaluate your relationship. And invite them in. Number three, ask them questions. One of the greatest things that you can do to honor people is to give them words. Ask them questions. Man, people are so interested in themselves. And so when you go meet him, um, her dad or, or, or his mom or, or his dad, whatever, go, like, hey, what are you into? Ask them questions. Uh, Chelsea, she did this. I was, I was playing college football when we started dating, and so she would hop in the, the car and, and go all over Texas with my mom on Saturdays to watch me play. And she would sit in the car, man, my mom, she loves to talk about her kids and herself. And Chelsea, they would just chop it up, man, and, and, it, and it created this equity between their relationship. And she got favor because she honored my mom. Now, now let me just say, like, some of you, you may be in a relationship or a circumstance where, where her parents or his parents, they're, they're not believers. And you're like, well, how much, do, how much influence do I give them? Listen, if that's your situation, guard their influence in your relationship. But you have no excuse to dishonor them. That when Paul writes this in Ephesians 6, he wasn't saying, you know, you need to honor your, your mother and your father, but not your in-laws. You need to honor your mother and your father only if they're Christ followers. No, 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 he says, hey, you need to honor them. And that's going to look differently in different circumstances and situations, but you're called by God to honor them. And you may be the, the representation of Christ to your family. You may be the salt and the light to your family. And the, and the degree that you honor them will be the degree that they see Christ in you. And so honor them. Number five, and lastly, you're going to need Christ. If you're going to have confidence in, uh, in this relationship to ask them to marry you or or if you're going to have confidence when he asks you to marry him, man, you're going to need to see commitment. You're going to need to see communication, confession, community, and then fifthly, Christ. Like, like man, engagement is this euphoria experience 
I mean, it's awesome. You found the one. You've, you caught your unicorn. You got your woman or your man of your dreams. It's so exciting. And, and like, a, like a long journey across the open water, man, you've set sail in your life, and, and you've navigated the placid waters of singleness, and, and you've gone through the crazy storms of dating, and now it's time to port in marriage. But, but every sailor knows that, that one of the most critical times of your voyage is how you, go, how you come into port. That the water begins to get shallow and there's these shoals and corals and rocks that you can't see and, 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 and it's how you finish that will determine the success of your journey. In, in 1981, there was a, a tragedy that took place in Alaska. Uh, the Exxon Valdez, there's a picture of it. It, it came into port in Alaska and, and it, it didn't have a skillful captain. And, as it came into the shallow water, it ran across some coral rocks or shoals or something, whatever, and it caused this, this huge oil tanker to sink. Some 10 or 11 million gallons of crude oil were spilt in the ocean, wreaking havoc on the wildlife and causing all kinds of death and destruction and decay. And so the response was moving forward, all boats that came into this port, in order for them to have a successful port, a successful uh, uh, final getting to their destination in order for them to have success they had to surrender and so it became mandatory that these giant boats they would surrender to two tugboats because the tugboats they were uh, helmed by a captain that knew the shallow waters that that knew what he was doing and so in order for this this boat that has gone clear across the ocean gone through all different kinds of waters in order for it to dock and to port into its destination in order for it to have success it had to tether to a tugboat, it had to surrender. And guys, this is true of our relationships, that you can see all these things we've talked about, but if you don't surrender your relationship to Christ, you'll miss out on all that God intended for your relationship. And some of you, you can't surrender your relationship to Christ because let's just be honest, you haven't surrendered your life completely over to Jesus. With all the things we've been talking about tonight, man, Christ has done these things for us. See, God was so committed to us. Not a match-type love, but a, but a deep-seated, cold, committed, covenantal-type love. So much so that he communicated to us by laying down his life and dying on a cross so that if we would confess him as our Lord, he would invite us to be a part of his community. And the only way you'll have success in this life and in the next is if you surrender your life to Jesus. And I pray that you'll do that in your relationships. But more importantly, I pray that you'll do that individually. I want to invite you just to lean forward, bow your heads, and we're going to close. just want to ask you a couple of questions and, and then pray for you. We'll invite the band to come up and we'll have a time of response. For some of you, this is delayed information. But wisdom chooses to, to learn and then live, not to live and learn. And so I pray that some of you will get a vision tonight of a preferred future that will affect your present reality so that you can do what Ephesians 5 says, so that you can be careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, and make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil and that you would understand what the will of the Lord is that you would involve these things, that maybe you're in a season where you're in a serious relationship, 
that you would count the cost, that you would do the work of preparation now. You would go through the pain of preparation so that you would experience the pleasure of marriage. And some of you, you you've yet to surrender your life over to Christ completely. You've come here and maybe you hope God will bless your marriage someday. But you haven't even surrendered your life to him. God's more concerned about what he's doing in you than, than what he's giving you. And so God being so audacious in his commitment, so reckless in his commitment, sent his son Jesus to die on a cross to communicate to you his overwhelming love for you so that you would confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you would believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you would join the community of believers. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for tonight. God, I pray for my friends that you would help them to honor you in their relationships. God, I ask that you would allow them to carefully observe their relationships. God, that you would help them to observe and edify one another. God, you'd give them a heart of wisdom that they would seek you. God, if someone's here and they don't know you, I pray that they would surrender their life to you. God, that they would see you hanging on a tree, paying the penalty of their sin, and then gloriously raising from the dead to conquer sin and death through the resurrection. And they would confess you as Lord, believe in their heart that you raised from the dead. And salvation would come tonight for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.